This is the MG Car Club podcast. This week, a detailing masterclass from expert Rich March. The MG Car Club podcast. On this week's MG Car Club podcast, I'm talking to, well, an old pal of mine from the MG Live Live Arena. And it has been a couple of years since Rich and I stood in the arena at MG Live and explained about our next subject, which I think actually is very important for a lot of you this weekend. Bank holiday weekend, of course. The sun is shining. We're promised lockdown is going to end and we're all going to be allowed out to local regional meets and shows from the 21st of June. So, well, if you're anything like me, you'll be putting your classic car out, dragging the MG out of the garage and giving it a good buff up and shine so it's looking its best for the summer ahead. Now, there's polishing and there's professional polishing. And Rich Marsh is one of the second type. He is a professional detailer and we're going to find out what that actually means. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to, I'd say nice to see you again, but we're somewhat distant, aren't we? Indeed. Yeah, well, I can't believe how much life has changed since MG Live 2019 when we did that detailing seminar in the arena that year. Absolutely fabulous. Beautiful sunshine bopping away to, I forget the name of the group that was on the stage, but they were absolutely fabulous, weren't the they? The Candy Girls. Oh, I knew you'd remember. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Firstly, let's just put this out there what is car detailing it is is it just posh polishing or is there more to it i'll be honest with you in professional forums there is an ongoing argument as has been going for the last probably 10 or 15 years i've been in the industry since 2004 and it's something that's been ongoing literally as long as i've been involved in in shinerizing as it were um and that is is there any difference between valeting and detailing ah yeah yeah i mean we could spend an hour just talking about that quite frankly but i wouldn't want to bore those people that are listening um i mean i suppose the way to look at it is it's kind of valeting it's washing your car to the power of 10 it's going that much further that you're attending to as the name suggests all of the little details that would normally just get kind of bypassed with a regular sunday afternoon watch well it's an american term originally detailing isn't it and in america they have very strict laws on how clean your car needs to be to make it roadworthy this might sound like a bit of a mad thing but it's true in some states if you've got a dirty number plate you can get pulled over by the rosses and they'll give you a good talking to and so it sort of came over here and it's a relatively new industry i started uh, bizarrely cleaning and, uh, and dressing and detailing in inverted commas engine bays um of classic ac motor cars apologies for the um, rather clang of a name drop um um for concourse shows and so on and so forth but um it's something that has been around in one way or another for a very long time and you mentioned the fact that some states in uh, in in the usa you have the potential to get pulled over for a dirty number plate. By the letter of the law, there's the potential for that to happen in the UK as well, because if it's illegible, if it's obscured in any way, then the boys in blue will be more than happy to um, have a little chat with you and try and find out if your number plate's that dirty, what else are they going to find that's wrong <laughs> with your car? Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I say, it is literally going those steps 
further in the cleaning process, like lifting the bonnet, degreasing your engine bay, polishing up any little bits of stainless steel or chrome bright work that might be hidden underneath the bonnet. Um, how far you go with it, of course, is entirely dependent on the time that you have, the knowledge that you have and the confidence, therefore, you have to put that into practice. Um, I'll give you an idea. I've just finished over the last couple of days detailing one of my motorbikes, which sounds like it'd be very, very far removed from what we're doing but if you bear in mind a motorbike is literally an engine with a seat attached to it um taking the fairings off for example is something that i would do on that basis on your classic cars you might think about you know removing that big source put air filter that you've got sat on top of your v8 block in the mgb v8 gt um and getting at the rocker covers therefore being able to get in between those lovely v8 heads to clean the detritus out of your inlet manifold that's where i'd be looking as a start with engine by detailing it's interesting because you kind of assume that we all know how to clean and polish a car but honestly if you see a car that's been professionally detailed i mean it really does look what you call box fresh doesn't it it looks like those concourse cars that you see that are perfectly preserved and i guess there's two elements to this isn't there there is your man at home who wants to know how to clean his car to the best standard um I guess there's also the concourse guys who want to show their cars and use detailing as a method of getting the edge on the competition. But then there's the serious side of this for us historic MG owners in that it is also part of the preservation of the car as well, isn't it? Oh, 100%. Um, so my business historically, we always focused mainly because of my starting point within this industry and also where my own personal passions lie with classic and, and vintage motor cars. And it absolutely is the case that you need to go around every square inch of that vehicle, not just the bits that you can see and touch on the outside, but also those bits that are a little bit hidden because, of course, you've got weather channels running throughout your engine bay and you know underneath your wheel arches and round your boot lid for example that are designed to take rainwater away but in doing so they're also collecting bits of dirt and so on that are washed in there by the rain and so on and so forth just from the surface of your paintwork now if you don't deal with those areas you've effectively created a lovely little sponge of dirt that's going to hold on to moisture and trap it against, let's face it, what do we find in these areas? Nice little welded seams and so on and so forth. They're relatively fragile, if you think about it. And now you've trapped that kind of salty, dirty, horrible, nasty, wet muck against it. If you leave it sitting, it's going to actually promote corrosion around those areas, which is the entire thing we're trying to prevent. So actually getting i'm trying to avoid using the word detail because it's, it's going to be every other word in the sentence otherwise but getting into these intricate areas there you go that's better isn't it intricate areas um to get this stuff out is going to help your car last longer it's going to help protect it from corrosion it is literally about preservation one of my big buzzwords um when in a previous business of mine called classic details um was very much about the preservation of historic motor cars 
I've got an MGB, I'm rolling it out the garage, Rich, and uh, I've listened to this podcast and I've decided that it's time to get serious with cleaning my car, with a view to preserving it, but also with a view to protecting it while it's out on the road, and to make it look really sexy when I turn up at a car show, or when <laughs> I turn up at the Triumph and MG show at Malvern in August. So, sure. let's run through it step by step. It's been in there all winter, I've dragged it out the garage, I probably didn't clean it before I put it away. What's the first thing we should do? Well, after, of course, you've greased your trunnions, um, we're looking at starting with a wash everything starts with a wash um and it needs to be pre-washed to remove anything um that's potentially just loosely sitting on the surface whether it's just dust from your garage whether it, again it did go away a little bit dirty and you've got some sandy deposits all of these things that are sitting on the surface have the potential to scratch your quite often um, should we say, well paid for um, paintwork if you've done a restoration job or something that's potentially quite fragile um, if you've got original paint on the car. So we look at something called a pre-wash detergent, and you'll see a lot of these in the form of snow foams. Um, laying that on the surface is helping that loose contamination as we call it those bits of sand and dust and so on and so forth helping to loosen that even further lift it slightly away from the surface so you can then come in with a rinse process to blow all that away now it's important to do that before you touch the car with a wash mitt or whatever you choose to use um because otherwise you're literally you're increasing the potential to put further marks and marring into your painted surface Ideally, getting as much of that away in the first instance means that you're, now we're talking about limiting the potential to do harm to that surface. So we've pre-washed the car, got rid of the loose stuff by rinsing it down again afterwards. And then what I do is have a look at your wheels. Now, for some reason, people love spoked wheels. They're horrible from a cleaning and maintenance perspective, but if you do it really well once and get a goodly coat of protection on there, then it becomes much easier to clean going forwards, doesn't it? You're always going to get that build up around the spoke nipples and around the inner hub and the outer rim of the wheel. But doing it once and doing it really, really well, and it does take a long time, as we all know, use the right products. Most, as we say, retail off the shelf wheel cleaners should be absolutely fine, even on a chrome spoked wheel. Um, it's only when you start looking at the professional products that are either very highly acidic or potentially very highly alkaline and caustic um, that you're going to potentially look at problems but most of the stuff that you get off the shelf in your kind of high street retailers are going to be absolutely fine now lots of little brushes potentially a wash mitt that you've got saved literally only for use on wheels is going to be the best way to do it and if you've got the potential obviously to take that wheel off it's going to make your life an awful lot easier isn't it mm. And also, I've noticed when I've watched you, Rich, you have multiple buckets going on as well, and that's to separate uh, the dirty water, isn't it? Uh, we'll come on to that next. So once we've got our <laughs> wheels sorted, get the dirtiest bits done first, get those wheels clean, and then we can move on to the rest of the car, which hopefully will be out of direct sunlight, so it's still a bit wet from when we've rinsed it down after our pre-wash. 
So basically what you've done there is you started with obviously the pre-wash, but then get sorting out the dirtiest bit of the car first, which is those wheels. Absolutely right. I mean, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. Firstly, you might be using some of the most aggressive chemicals on your wheels that thou as you move forwards throughout our processes, we're getting adding more water with lots of rinsing processes coming up. Um, so we're further neutralizing and flushing away those potentially harmful chemicals. The other thing is, if you think as you're brushing and scrubbing away at the surface of those wheels, you're probably going to be splattering dirty, horrible, nasty bits across the surrounding area. Now, if you've already spent ages getting the wing of your car or the rear quarter of your car perfectly clean, and you didn't cover it of kind of greasy splatter from where you've cleaned your wheels, you've got to clean it again, haven't you? Yeah, and brake dust is can be pretty damaging on paintwork, can't it, as well? Oh, it's fabulous stuff. Absolutely right. Um, I mean, in all fairness, it's relatively inert as a, 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 as a compound. But what it does when it's sitting on the surface, particularly when it goes through that kind of expansion and contraction of the sunlight hitting it and softening it and expanding it. And then as it contracts, as it cools down, it kind of grabs hold of these things. And we end up with chemical etching in the surface, which is something you're going to have to fight like bilio to try and get rid of. So anything that we can do to prevent this from happening is going to do us favours. And by doing our wheels first, before we start touching the paintwork, then we know, again, we're limiting the that potential for harm. That's what it's all about. So our wheels are done. We've rinsed them down. We've got them sorted. And this is where your two-bucket wash method comes yeah. in. This is what people like to hear about. And then you get all of these guys, particularly in a professional point of view, talking about a three-bucket method, because that's obviously one better, despite the fact they're doing exactly the same thing. It just so happens they're using a separate bucket to wash their wheels with. Um, I, 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 love, I think somewhere on YouTube, I, I saw a little skit that one of the um, car chemical manufacturers did where he ended up with about 27 buckets surrounding the car by the end of the process, which is amazing. <laughs> Um, but literally, all you need is two buckets. One of them has your shampoo in, and you've mixed it up to what it says on the back of the bottle, so you know that it's A, strong enough and going to work for you, and B, not so strong that you're going to be left with chemical residues on the surface of the car. That's where most people fall down. They put massive, great glugs of shampoo into their wash bucket and then wonder why the car's gone all streaky when they've finished. Yes, I've done that. Guilt is charged. The other bucket is clean water. The reason being, you can put your wash mitt into your bucket of shampoo, clean a section of your car, and we normally start with the cleanest bit and work our way down to the dirtiest bit as we go. But wash a panel, wash half a panel, wash a section, wash down to the glass line, wherever your own particular car looks like it's nicely sectioned off. Do your cleanest bit first, and then you go into that clean rinse bucket. Rinse out your wash mitt, give it a good agitate, get both hands in there and give it a good scrub with your fingers to try and get as much dirt out of that wash mitt as you possibly can. Wring it out on the floor, because there's no point making a dirty bucket even dirtier if you don't need to. Then go back into your shampoo bucket and wash the next section. So what we're trying to do, and this is one of what we refer to as safe wash procedures, what we're trying to do is limit the amount of dirt that you've taken off the car from going 
back onto the car again and again potentially causing little scratchy swirly horrible nasty love marks in the surface of your paintwork and you see some of these buckets with like grids in the bottom do, do you recommend Ooh. them are they are they worthwhile they're definitely worthwhile absolutely right and at least having one in the bottom of your rinse bucket is going to help effectively lock away all of that sandy gritty nastiness at the bottom of the bucket so you physically can't get near it when you're rinsing out your wash bit now in an ideal world you probably have one in your wash bucket your shampoo bucket as well because it's going to further limit the potential for harm again of those bits of grit and sand scratching your well cared for paintwork two buckets by themselves will most likely do enough for you if you're using them correctly the addition of what we call a grit guard um or there's i mean there's other types available but exactly as you say it's like a grid that sits in the bottom of the bucket all of your heavy contamination those bits of sand and dirt and grit and so on now sink down to the bucket underneath that grit guard so you can't get near it with your wash mitt so it's a physical barrier they are a nice to have let's put it that way okay. it's a nice to have okay. it's not necessarily a must-have but it's definitely a nice to have if you've got a limited budget buy yourself two buckets instead if you've got more money grab a grit guard or two as well great well it's worthwhile if it's cheap basically <laughs> <laughs> worthwhile if it's cheap or just be careful that you don't keep getting grit and use your two bucket methods of you as you've described i think that's absolutely uh, right that's, i mean uh, another thing to think about is actually the size of your bucket if you think most of the dirt's going to sit in the bottom couple of inches and the top couple of inches of your bucket having a decent deep bucket can be quite important um we could spend maybe not hundreds of pounds, but certainly tens of pounds just on buckets. But quite frankly, I go down to a local builder's merchants and get plasterers buckets because they're 30 litres, translucent, and do exactly what I need them to do in literally holding water. Whereas you go to some of you know, the luxury boutique car care chemical manufacturers and they'll say yes of course we can sell you a 25 litre bucket with a seat on top and wheels on the <laughs> bottom so you don't have to carry it and yes sir that will be 50 of your finest english pounds please um my point of view save your money go to a builder's merchants and spend 6.99 because that's what i do and what are you washing the car with here rich because um you know there are sponges and there are sponges it's pretty much like buckets you think a sponge is a sponge but some of them they're asking huge money for these sponges like 20 30 quid for a you know posh sponge to wash your car with does it really matter Oh, this is a fun one. I like this. Um, uh, I'm not going to plug it, but we do also write an industry-specific magazine. Um, and we actually did a big test on various kinds of what we refer to as wash media. So wash mitts, wash pads, wash sponges, cloths, bits and pieces like that. You can spend £35 on a luxury lamb's wool wash mitt. Now... <laughs> Some people go, oh, that's the most expensive. It must be the best. I'll have that one. And whereas they have a place, letting you into a little secret without making you buy the magazine, of course, um, <laughs> we actually found 
The, do you know those chenille type noodly mitts that you can oh, get yeah. from yeah. you know from 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 supermarkets and uh, and so on and so on, high street retailers? Um, now that at the princely sum of three quid did less harm to a dry plastic surface. Um, so in theory, it's going to do an awful lot less harm to a, a surface that's lubricated with your shampoo as well, of course, um, than your £30 luxury lambs will wash mitts. Lots of microscopic scratches, all building up over several hundreds of washes, are going to start to become visually apparent. And a money-saving tip. That's what oh, we like 100%. here. That's very that's good. So we've uh, so we've done our wheels. We've done our initial wash down. We've now shampooed with our two bucket trick, and we're now standing back. And actually, I'm reckoning most MGs by this point are looking pretty nice. Absolutely right. So there's a couple of things that I'd encourage people to do. And that is look to see if you've got any little road tar deposits on the surface, those little kind of blacky brown dots that you get from going through fresh roadworks. And of course, the car in front more than happily throws them at the front of your car. They're going to be found around the front, the leading edge of the car, low down and around your wheel arches and down the sides of the car. You need to find a specific tar remover, quite often called tar and glue removers to help you sort that out. Now, spraying that product onto a cloth and just giving it a very gentle wipe over should remove those tar deposits. We want to get rid of them because otherwise they're going to become unsightly, especially when you look at something that has already been waxed and effectively you've sealed them in. Mm -hmm. So tar removers 100% i think it is something that is going to be essential to do a proper clean of the outside of your car the next one we can look at is something called fallout remover now in this day and age we don't have a huge amount of what we used to refer to as industrial fallout because lots of heavy industries have quite frankly got up and left um we've become a very service-based economy, which is great for me because, of course, I provide a service. Um, what you're looking at now in terms of this fallout is lots of little, let's call them iron filings, effectively. It's ferrous metallic contamination that's sitting on the surface of the car. It's not going to come off with your, your wash, with your mitt and your shampoo because it's stuck. It's so hot when it's stuck to the surface that it's kind of burnt its way in. And it's come from your brake discs and the brake discs of the vehicles around you. And, you know, when you couldn't get that bolt off, in the corner of the garage, you've been grinding away and those little airborne bits of grinding splatter have now settled across the paintwork of your car, haven't they? <laughs> Let's call that a suboptimal environment, but it's something that we're, we're all guilty of. It's something that I've done or, you know, when you take your car for its MOT, ready to get it back on the road, um, you know, the guy's been grinding the exhaust off the old mini in the bay next to where your car's being done. It's still going to affect your paintwork it's still going to settle so we need to use something called a fallout remover or an iron remover and this is something that's really quite fun 
Whatever your chosen product might be, and bear in mind they normally absolutely honk, so pop a mask on (laughs) at the very least. Um, I I, I once went in a previous life to uh, a health and safety training course. We were talking about chemical handling, and the guy there gave me one phrase that has stuck with me ever since, and that is, if you can smell it, it's already in you. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, if you were to come on one of my professional courses that we deliver at UK Detailing Academy, I would be telling you that PPE, a mask, gloves, goggles, your safety goggles, that sort of thing, are an absolute must, not an option. So, at the very minimum, protect your lungs, protect your eyes, and protect your skin a little bit. Because if you can see what this is going to do on the surface of the car, you can imagine what that's going to do to your skin. Um, there is an argument that maybe some of the things it can do to you might be desirable, given that the the active ingredient in a lot of these what we call fallout or iron removers is something called thioglycolic acid. Sounds delicious. Um, but in the cosmetic industry, it's actually used for hair removal. I don't need any of that near me. I think that's probably where I've gone wrong. I've been polishing my car too much with this stuff. We don't need to lose any more. Thanks very much. Hey, I'm I'm getting away with it so far, but I won't <laughs> I won't go any further with it. Um, conversation just in case things worsen in years or, or days or even hours to come. Let's face it. So we've got our iron remover. Obviously, have a look at what it tells you to do on the label. But in general, we're looking at spraying it across the paintwork of the car. Keep it out of direct sunlight. We don't want it to dry on the surface. This is quite fun because you actually get a colour changing reaction with most of these products. And you see all of those little, literally, iron filings start to turn red or purple across the surface of your paintwork. And now if you've got a beautiful old English white or similar finish on your MG, then you're looking at, hey, this is quite cool. The camera comes out, get those snaps up on Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media you choose, because this is exciting now. You can see something happening on the surface. Give it a few minutes, make sure it doesn't dry, like I say, and just give it a blast off with a hose or a pressure washer to rinse it away from the surface. And now you're probably 90% of the way to a clean enough painted surface to start to wax. But I'd urge you to do one extra thing before you look at doing a bit of polishing or a bit of waxing on that surface. And that is to look at something called detailing clay ah now i was going to ask about this because there are all sorts of myths and uh clever clever people in pub bars and stuff that will tell you all about their clay bars and all that kind of stuff and it's one of those areas of mystery around car detailing which uh hopefully you're going to be able to open the doors on for us yeah so there's a lot of opinions flying around, lots of anecdotal sayings about, oh, yeah, no, I always do this and it removes scratches. It doesn't at all. Um, what you have to bear in mind with any type of clay, bear in mind you can get things from clay bars where you pull a piece off and press it out and rub it with a lot of lubrication across the surface of the vehicle to clay mitts, clay towels, clay discs. Um, it is an absolutely essential part of your maybe annual, shall we say, decontamination process before you start polishing and then waxing the paintwork of your car. 
But you have to understand that by its very nature, detailing clay is abrasive. It works by physically shaving the dirt from the surface of your car. It can't do that unless it is abrasive in nature. Now, people that say, oh, no, I claim my car every weekend and I've never caused a problem, they're either not doing it properly or enough, or those marks are so small, they just can't see them yet. Now, bear in mind, remember what I said about that lambs will wash me at the really expensive one that might be putting microscopic marks into the surface. Your clay product is going to put marks into the surface. There's no way to avoid it. So we have to polish it afterwards. It could be that the marks that you put into that surface are so small, you can't see them. But trust me, I've looked at these things under very intense specific lighting systems with microscopes and those marks are definitely there. So we clay the car to get it perfectly clean to make sure there's nothing left on that surface at all before we then start to polish the car. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centers and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. No longer think of polish as being a product. Polish is now a verb. It's an action. It's something you do. And you use products to polish your car that could either be an abrasive compound, very light abrasive compound that's going to help us remove any surface marks and definitely help remove the marks that we've literally just put in with our claying process. Or we use something that we refer to as a glaze. Now, this is something, particularly with fragile paintwork, that can be your best friend. It doesn't need such intensive working and such intense concentration as an abrasive compound does because it's literally filling in those little marks. That means those marks are still there underneath the glaze, but now if you regularly glaze and re-wax your surface, you know that you're going to keep your paintwork looking fantastic. We know that the marks are there, hidden away underneath, but it's the difference between using something like polyfiller on your skirting boards before you paint over the top, rather than going through your 60, 80, 120 grit sanding process to get rid of all of those marks before you put your gloss paint on mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah and there's a couple of sort of strange products out there and, and actually some products that are meant for finishing new paint sprays aren't they that uh, that sort of find the, their way into people's garages and, and be used as polishes and one I, I see a lot being used as a as a polish because it's so abrasive and people think it's it's able to lift dirt very quickly but actually could have the real potential for damage is the g3 paste that we use when we're finishing a new spray job but people are using this stuff you, you've got to urge some caution around that i guess 
Oh, absolutely right. Particularly when people start dragging out their, you know, their old machine polishes that sit in the corner of the garage and get used, you know, once a month on Sundays. Um, there are a lot of very abrasive products out there. For something like your classic MGs that you're taking to a show when we're allowed to, let's face it, um, but you're taking it to shows on a regular basis, the more abrasives, the more abrasive polishing compounds that you use on the surface of your paintwork, quite frankly, the next time you come to do it, the less depth of paint you've got available to polish next time. And the following time and the following time. So I'd actually urge you to look at things like show car glazing products, because now you're adding to the surface rather than taking away. Would you recommend hand polishing at this stage or is there a place for those machine polishes that, as you say, we've all got on the top shelf of the garage and we're, well, in my case, rarely brave enough to use <laughs> well, this is the thing. If you think that it's more a case of confidence in using that machine properly, and bear in mind with some of the training courses that we offer at UK Detailing Academy for professionals, we're literally encouraging people to go and spend months machine polishing test panels and so on and so forth to get their technique honed and get it 100% bang on. Something that as a home user that you're picking up on a very occasional basis, you're not going to be so consistent with your good technique and use of the machine. But they do have a place. They absolutely have a place, even for a home user. If you are using these Amazing type polish products on your car's paintwork, then with a really soft pad, a low speed, it's going to help you literally spread it across the surface of the car. Now, as long as you're careful with that machine and you're careful to mask up anything that you could damage on the surface of the car, then why wouldn't you use it? It's a labour-saving device, isn't it? Why would you go through the potential pain and tennis elbow of doing it all by hand if you've got a machine sitting in the corner of the garage that can effectively do it for you with a little bit of steering input from yourself absolutely nothing wrong with it go for it just take your time be methodical and concentrate really hard on what you're doing because it's when that concentration goes when you start to get tired that actually you get a little bit of a slip or you spend too long in one particular area and you start to build up a lot of heat on the surface through friction. So yeah, hundred percent has a place. If you're confident in using it and you can relax into what you're doing, why wouldn't you use it? Mm -hmm. oh, good tip. And I suppose at this point, we also need to know about what type of paint we're working on because especially in the older MGs, if they've had a restoration, they might well have some modern paint. It might be water-based. It might be sort of a clear over base with a lacquer layer on top of the paint. Or even you occasionally still see, not very often now, but you occasionally still see cars painted with acrylic. Or if it's probably an older restoration or a car that's got its original paint, it will even be in cellulose, won't it? And uh, I mean, does it matter? Is there a different technique when you're dealing with those different type of paint types? 
So if we're using a glaze, which is just sitting on top of that paint, quite frankly, it doesn't matter. And there are so many products out there that are designed to be used on top of clear coat, designed to be used on top of dark colored cars or light colored cars or some of these color charged systems that you get, that you get one for your red car and one for your yellow car and so on and so forth. Um, it's all the same stuff. It's just in a different bottle. Um, as I hold my head in my hands, marketing is a wonderful thing. Um, but yeah, look at something that is colour specific to your car, because it wouldn't exist, quite frankly, if it didn't make a bit of a difference. Or look at one of these general purpose type glazing products. You've got the likes of, at uh, risk of, of naming a product now, something like, you know, Poor Boy's Black Hole or White Diamond are two very popular ones. I'm not advocating them. They're just two examples of the type of product that you might choose to use. And they're very, very good at glazing and filling in those defects. And when you get to your show, ground you can pop another coat on by hand and the following morning before your show and shine competition you can pop another coat on by hand and that finish is going to get better and better and better the type of paint you're working on when we're looking at filling products these glazing products doesn't really matter i'd say it's probably important for you to know as an owner because you can understand what type of paint you're dealing with. And there's a very, very simple test we can go through, which will show you whether or not you've at least got clear coat on the surface of your car. Ah, yes. Now, this is this is clever, this. You've shown me this before, and, and it was a revelation to me, and I've used it ever since. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> it's, get yourself a light-coloured polishing cloth. So one of the ones you can pick up from anywhere, quite frankly, one of these microfiber type cloths that are nice and soft and you'd have no fear washing your baby's bottom with, you know, that's the sort of thing. You're going to get a little bit of an abrasive compound, literally put a dot onto your cloth and in an inconspicuous area, I sound like an advert for surfer, uh, furniture cleaner um, find an inconspicuous area, whether that's on a sill or around the back of the car or something like that. And just rub a tiny little kind of inch square almost, just a little bit. Give it a little bit of a rub. If you look at your cloth, if you've got a clear white or zero residue on your cloth, you're more than likely, unless you've got a white car, obviously, you're more than likely dealing with clear coat. If your cloth has turned the same colour as the car, Guess what you're dealing with? You're dealing with an unclear coated paintwork. Now, lots of, as you say, older restorations, lots of, quite frankly, home spray jobs, rattle can spray jobs, that sort of thing. You will not have any clear coat present. Um, you don't need to know when we're using our glazing type products that are filling and putting more things on top of the surface, but it's useful for you to know as an owner actually what paintwork you're dealing with on the car. There is a very big but, though, it has to be said. The caveat over all of these things is that if you've got a car that's maybe new to you, but has been through historically a restoration process, whether it's been a home restoration or a professional restoration, can you be 100% certain that all of the paint on that car is the same? Mm -hmm. Yes, no, good no. point, yeah. <laughs> so maybe you might need to try a couple of different areas just to give you an overview of the car as a thing. I had um, an, uh, an old, dearie me, it was actually an MG Metro. 
Um, and it was fantastic fun. It was a little rocket ship, nice little roller skate, but it had been painted by about four different people at four different times. And because of that, I actually had a clear-coated bonnet. I had a very hard two-pack solvent-based acrylic on the roof, um, and the sides and rear of the car looked like they'd been painted by a blind man with a roller. Um, <laughs> But we won't go into that. But literally, I had three different types of paint across that car. Um, How do you polish emulsion, Rich? Yeah, (laughs) it takes ever such a long time. Um, It's fun and games. I mean, downstairs, actually, at the moment where I'm sitting as we are in my workshop here in the beautiful Cotswolds, um, I've got an MGTF sitting on the ramp downstairs, which is that glorious trophy blue colour. But because... Because it's had four different restorations at four different times, there's a bit that's been sprayed literally out of a rattle can, and there's other bits of the car that have been professionally refinished. So we're actually having all sorts of fun going through it, flatting it back and refinishing these very textured areas where it's been painted by a man in a shed with his Labrador. So it's fun. But yeah, don't take it as red. Don't make the assumption that all of the paintwork over your entire car is the same. When we're using our glazing products, it doesn't matter. But it's important, I think, for you as as an owner of this vehicle to understand what it is that you've got. Absolutely. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, it's, as you say, interesting for you as an owner to know if you need to repair it, how you're going to do that and make sure that your car doesn't end up like that lovely TF downstairs with various <laughs> different types of paint. Uh, so where are we up to now? So we've, we've, we've got all these lovely glazing products. Our car's looking amazing, but we're not finished yet, are we? No, not quite. What we need to do, talking about the exterior specifically, because that's the bit that everyone wants to know about. Um We've glazed it. So this is our polishing process now. We've we've polished our glaze onto the vehicle following whatever blurb is on the back of the bottle that the um, supplier or manufacturer has recommended. Buffed it all off, looking beautiful. We want to protect that finish now. And there are as many options available to you as there are shades of blue on the MGTF downstairs. Um, so many different options. You can look at things from natural waxes. Everyone shouts about carnauba wax, um, which is a natural plant-based resin, um, right the way through to things that we call polymer sealants, where you've got either short chain or long chain polymeric um, protective resins that you can buy right the way through to the industry buzzword, the thing that everyone's in love with at the minute in ceramic coatings. I would urge the home user to stay away from things that call themselves ceramic coatings because there is a big potential for things to go wrong. Um proper and i'm making my inverted comma sign with my fingers even though no one can see it apart from me um proper ceramic coatings will set when they're cured to be as hard as glass if it goes wrong you've got an awful lot of work to do to get rid of that to put it right um there was a a raft of kind of ebay 
purchase type ceramic coatings available at one stage. Firstly, they had a very, very high aromatic solvent content. So people were getting massive headaches um, when they were using them. Um, I heard of one particular instance where a guy literally passed out in his garage because Ooh. of the fumes given off by these quite frankly, really quite horrible um, chemical based products. Um, but beyond that, it became an issue where we've had people trying to install these ceramic coatings at home. They've come to us and gone, it's gone wrong. Can you get it off? And we're literally looking at sanding the surface of the vehicle, going back to, you know, 800,000 grit wet and dry pads to sand this stuff away from the car wow. in order that we can get it off. So I really would urge people to stay away from that side of things. But there are things that call themselves ceramic waxes and so on, where you've got what we call a hybrid sealant. You've got a wax that's maybe infused with silicon dioxide or something like that, which gives it a little bit more longevity. It gives it a little bit more durability, maybe adds to the ultraviolet protection to help, you know, delicate um, single stage paintwork from oxidizing you get that kind of chalkiness on the surface if it's unprotected these things will help to prolong the life of your paintwork because we're helping protect the pigments and helping to protect the surface from oxidation with them and whether that is a carnauba wax or something that's infused with one of these silicon dioxide type products you get um, things that are infused with ptfe as well i've seen a titanium infused wax i have no idea how they managed to do that or what purpose it serves um the new one that's coming in now everyone in professional circles is talking about graphene so there's a new one for you um a single chain carbon um system across the top of your protective coating that makes it more slippery um but quite frankly choose one that works for you choose one that you've had good results with in the past quite frankly choose one that you like using choose one that you like the smell of potentially um it is one of those things that's very much personal preference. If we're talking about classic cars and show cars particularly, you're going to want to be glazing it and, uh, and waxing it on a regular basis. So something that you enjoy using is really important because you're going to be doing it a lot. And this is really all about protecting all of that hard work in the previous stages that we've been up to, isn't it? It's to make sure that... Because you, you've kind of, as you explained, you've kind of you, given the paint a good going out there. You've kind of made it vulnerable, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And now you've got to put its skin back on it. Yeah, absolutely right. Added to which, you know, using your glazing products uh, and, and a nice oily natural wax where you've been going through that really quite aggressive deep cleaning process with your tar remover and your, and your iron remover and of course your clay as well you need to kind of re-moisturize it a little bit if you think i mean you're a modern man the same as me obviously wayne if you think if you go through your weekly exfoliation on the skin on your face or, or in, in your case of course the top of your head um you need to moisturize you need to give yourself something back and we're not necessarily talking about essential oils now now we're talking about literally some of the stuff that we've leached out over time some of the stuff that the sunlight has dried out from the surface of your car because we're all guilty of going and parking in the middle of a field on a sunny day 
because it looks nice. But think about the potential damage that the ultraviolet light and so on is doing to the surface of the car. It's oxidizing, it's drying it out a little bit. So a nice oily protective product is going to re-feed, re-moisturize your paintwork, give it something back and help it last a little bit longer. Interesting you should mention UV light and its degradation on paint. I have quite honestly been to shows before now and seen people spraying factor 30 onto their bonnets uh it's it's been done i've seen it (laughs) (laughs) i'm not quite sure it works the same way but uh, the best way to do it is to follow these steps and use a good wax as you're explaining isn't it yeah absolutely right i'd be very very careful quite frankly of using any of the more modern sun creams particularly the ones that you spray on on the surface of your vehicle, because I mean, I don't know if you've seen the big handprints that you mm. get on dark colored cars generally in, in the summer months. Some of the active ingredients in these sun creams, beyond the fact they tend to have an alcohol type carrier um, that's gonna dry mm. out the surface of your paintwork, we get hand cream marks or you know, sun cream marks, handprints, fingerprints all over the surface of cars. And we actually have to polish them off because it's kind of nibbled its way slightly into the top surface of the paintwork. So absolutely stay away from it. If you're going to go and rub your car, maybe consider putting a pair of gloves on if you're wearing sun cream. Um, It literally does um, strip paint at times. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a good... You know, we're all wearing it. We're told we've got to wear it quite rightly for health reasons. So, yeah, be careful about those those, uh, products getting onto your paint and uh, and the marks they create. Um, So, I guess there's just a final stage just to finish everything off now and i know having watched you do cars having seen you do the car that we had in the arena at mg live you now turn your attention just to finishing things off don't you and then doing things like glass work and and other little bits of details yeah absolutely right so once we've done all these things the car looks beautiful but i mean you must cast your mind back to arthur daly proper proper old school car dealer Gets a new Ford Cortina in to go on his forecourt and he speaks to, I've forgotten the name of the guy. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, and says, yeah, dress the tyres, clean the windows, bang it on the forecourt. If you emphasise the contrast, this is what we're talking about now, make the tyres look really, really black because you've now made your bodywork look really, really shiny and your chrome bumpers and trim look really, really clean and shiny. Dressing the tyres and other little textured rubber or plastic surfaces that are unpainted exaggerates the contrast. And it's the contrast that makes each individual surface really pop. That is a top tip for anyone, especially entering kind of show and shine, pride and joy, even concourse competitions. As you say, making the contrast between different coloured areas, different materials on the car stand out. And that's what those tyre dressings do. That's why the glass needs to look really clear and shiny. And it's why bumpers need to be nice and black if they're the black rubber type, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. The, the, the more you can make these things stand out individually in a line of cars, you know, or, or spread out across the show field, potentially being judged, 
the attention is going to be drawn to the one that looks, you know, the black stuff's really black and the red paintwork is really red and glossy and the chrome spoked wheels are really clean and almost shining out of their own. It's that contrast that really makes your car stand out from the other cars around it. And if you've got a line of cars that are all identical, you want to stand out. You want to make sure your car is the one that draws the attention, don't you? Absolutely. Well, and it's just taking pride in your car. It's a lovely feeling when your car looks at its best. And if you're one of those that's listening to this, perhaps thinking, well, I'm not interested in concours. I don't really want to spend hours cleaning or shining up the car. I'm more of a driver, more of a user. There is a place for this for you guys as well, because as we started off this conversation by saying this is partly about preservation of the car and restoration of those components to make sure that the car is protected and stays drivable and uh, enjoyable on the roads uh, for years to come. And uh, there's a few other myths that surround detailing and cleaning cars that i think it's worthwhile just popping really and um i'm gonna just throw some names of stuff at you rich and just give (laughs) us your feedback so i'm gonna start with the first one washing up liquid (laughs) (laughs) fabulous so first and foremost washing up liquid will normally contain salts and it will also leave a very thin hydrophilic film across the surface of your plates, which is fantastic if you want them to dry on the draining board next to your sink, because as the water very, very gradually creeps down the surface, it's taking, you know, limescale deposits and any remaining kind of little bits of dirt and so on away with it. Now, we don't really want that for a car, do we? We want our car to shed the water very, very quickly. We want it to be gone. And if you spent hours and hours and hours polishing and waxing your car and making it as hydrophobic as possible. This is where you know your water beads and the water sheeting off the surface, that kind of appearance. That's where that comes in because now to a certain extent, you've made your car self-cleaning because when it's wet, the water will get away from the surface very, very quickly, taking some of that dirt deposit with it. If you've spent ages making your car hydrophobic, why would you then come along with your washing up liquid, give it a quick wash and put a hydrophilic film over the surface. That that doesn't compute in my brain somehow. And I was always told that washing up liquid basically as a detergent, which is what it is, uses salts in order to break down grease in saucepans and stuff. And as we all know, salt is not something you want around your chrome bits, is it? Not really. No, no I'll be honest with you, not really. I mean, Bear in mind that car shampoos are also a blend of detergents and surfactants that are doing exactly that, except rather than breaking down the fat from the bacon sandwich that we had at the weekend, now we're breaking down the oil mist that comes out of the exhaust of the vehicle and road grind, that sort of thing. So they're very specific and, quite frankly, distinctly different products that are used. Waterless waxes, Rich. Uh, We've all seen them, and they seem very handy. You can get them out of most shops and hardware stores and petrol stations now, and they promise that you can clean your car with no water at all. Very handy for the show field, but are there some dangers here we need to be aware of? Yes, there are. I'll be honest with you. So these waterless wash-type products are very, very clever. They're not just 
relying on the detergents and surfactants that I just talked about in terms of your car shampoo. They've normally got a polymer of some description, something that wants to join at a molecular level with the dirt deposits to absorb them and pull them away from the surface. The issue with them is, remember we went through our pre-wash process right at the very beginning, we're trying to remove all of this loose contamination that's just sitting on the surface. If you don't go through that pre-wash process, you are increasing again the potential to put little marks into the surface of your paintwork. Now, where the waterless wash products fall down is they kind of still need that pre-wash stage. But for a car that's already clean, something that you have done all of your big job on, you know, the week leading up to your car show at the weekend, you literally drive it 30 miles, whatever it might be, from home to the show, you can't wash it. You can't drag a hose pipe 100 metres across the show field just to give the car a rinse down. And that's where your waterless wash type products really do come into their own. They're a little bit of a get out of jail free card, aren't they? Mm. Uh, Shammy Leathers. Old school, but do they still have a place? Potentially, and when used correctly, yes, they do. I'll be honest with you, there exists now microfiber type drying towels that do the job as well, or in some cases even better, than your chamois leather used to do, you know that dried bit of cow hung up in the corner of the <laughs> yes. of the of the garden shed, which always um, goes they, mouldy, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny that you'd never think that a bit of you know animal would start to decompose in such a way, <laughs> would you? But I mean, if you think about it, you're doing exactly the same thing with your Seamus leather as you do with a microfiber drying towel, but. Don't even think about using it while it's still dry and crispy. Give it a soak. Give it a bit of love. Get it damp. Because as soon as you dampen that chamois leather, it becomes pliable. It becomes flexible. And in doing so, it's not going to scratch the heck out of your paintwork by being that kind of little bit of crispy bacon rind that you've had <laughs> hung up in the shed for the last six months since you used it. There is a place for them. By all means, use it if you're going to look after it and use it correctly. But I would urge you, realistically, for the sake of what becomes a few pounds, to invest in a microfiber drying towel that's going to do that job for you a little bit more, shall we say, kindly. Mm. Well, my next question was going to be around microfibers. And, yeah, that kind of answers that. That's good because they are, in effect, the replacement for the old school chamois leather uh, but there are other drying products that you'll come across aren't there you get these sort of handles with silicon blades on them and all sorts of strange drying mitts and all that kind of stuff what would you recommend around them so i mean there's no getting away from the fact the most efficient way to dry a car is is, is literally to use an open hose rinse as we call it so literally mains water pressure out of the end of your hose no jet washing nothing like that you literally want water to flow across the surface now because water is sticky and it likes to be with its friends what happens is the water kind of clumps together and it all runs off in one big lump which means you've got less to have to dry on the surface 
something like your microfiber drying towel at that point has now got less work to have to do. The issue with using one of those silicon blades is that you've got no give, you've got no pile, which means you've got no margin for error. If there's something now sitting on the surface of the car that's maybe been, you know, landed as a truck's driven past on the main road and you've got airborne dust and so on that just settles on the car naturally, um, you're running the risk of dragging that now against your paintwork rather than using a drying towel that's going to help give it a bit of a cushion. Good tips, these. You see, I'm making notes, Rich. I always do when you're talking because these are I, the things I, we take I, for granted, you know, and uh, we all we I, all love cleaning our cars and we all want to get it oh, right. Absolutely right. I knew I should have charged for this. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's a good point, actually, to say, you know, if you do want to learn more about detailing cars, if this is a subject that you're particularly passionate about, well, you can help there, Rich, can't you? Because um, you are obviously a detailing professional. You work on clients' cars, but UK Detailing has a school as well. Absolutely right. So we have a business called UK Detailing Academy, which is succinct and different from our detailing operation. I actually spend more time teaching other people now than I do actually detailing itself. Um, it's an absolute, as you can tell, it's an absolute passion and a joy of mine um, to share knowledge, but also increase my own knowledge as well. So through the magazine that we write, Pro Detailer magazine, um, and lots of other things, we're continually going around the country and when we're allowed to around the world, potentially learning new things, finding out about new products, speaking to industry chemists and scientists and experts about all of the things that go to making this industry what it is as a whole it is absolutely fascinating to me um and i love to share that then with the trainees that we have coming into our days now we don't only offer professional training courses we do also do things for enthusiasts many of whom might be listening at the moment um in fact coming up on the 26th of june we're running an enthusiasts learn how to polish day effectively um details of which can be found on our website at www.ukdetailingacademy.com there's a nice little plug for you um or a plug for me should i say um <laughs> It's fun. It's exciting. We absolutely adore what we do. We stopped calling it work many years ago because we just have so much fun doing this stuff. It's great. Well, you can find all the details on ukdetailingacademy.com. We'll also put that link in the e-newsletter with this podcast and on the podcast description part of the podcast page at mgpodcast.uk. And you too can sign up to that course. Go and meet Rich you might have met him already at MG Live in the past uh, with me in the live arena. But uh, as you can hear, he's so passionate about this subject. Uh, makes me interested in it as well. And I can tell you, uh, we won't give it all away on this podcast. I'll leave <laughs> something behind for you and just tease. that If you go to the Academy, you meet Rich and you learn about this stuff with him, then you will find out the magic that he does on engine bays and engine detailing. It is something else. And those of you who were at MG Live back in 2019 at Silverstone would have seen the amazing job that was done on that uh, MGZT that we had in the arena there. 
So uh, I'll leave that one for the Academy and tell everyone to sign up now and go and see the magic that you do on engines. But uh, it's great <laughs> to have you on the podcast, Rich, and it's great to have a chat with you about this subject that you're so passionate about and that you make me so passionate about now. I'm, I'm itching to go now and go and get polishing. So Fabulous. <laughs> I shall get out in the garage and get on with it. So uh, Rich March of UK Detailing, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the invitation. Take care, wait to see you soon. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk.